All right, that's it. Let's uh, jump into the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand real high, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow one as we continue to make our way through this great letter. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be picking up at verse 35, where we left off from last week, and finish out the chapter to verse 39. I entitled our message this morning, Need of Endurance which is really just taken right from verse 35, where the writer tells us, you have need, or verse 36, excuse me, you have need of endurance. Need of endurance. All right. I want to see a couple of new faces. Good morning. I'm blessed that you're able to join us this morning. But if you're there at Hebrews 10, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. The writer says, therefore, verse 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The writer quotes from the Old Testament. And then verse 39, and he says, But, or the idea is, however, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but rather we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. All right, we'll pause there and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for another day that you've given us uh, the gift of life. And Lord, I'm reminded this morning as Jesus would often give invitation to come and see, to come and taste. The Lord would say for those who would hunger and thirst for righteousness that they would be filled. For those who mourn, well, Lord, they will be comforted. And Lord, for those who are pure in heart, that they will see God. Lord, I I pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for the things of you, that we might be filled today, satiated by the word of God. Lord, for those who need a healing touch, those who have uh, just grieving or mourning, for whatever reason, Lord, we pray that you might comfort them and heal them. And Lord, for those, Lord, who desire to see you, help us, Lord, to know what it means to be pure in heart. We realize it's not our our righteousness, Lord, but it's because of Jesus that we've been clothed, that we've been covered, that we've been forgiven. But Lord, may our hearts be right. We want to see you. And we thank you that you are the great I am for any need and every need that we might have carried into this place. Lord, you are greater and you are better. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment and say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. (laughs) So I I did hear a few were able to participate in the open hearts, open homes, uh, and had a good time. So thank you. Thank you for signing up. Thank you for doing that. If you missed out, don't worry. We're going to 
Uh, we're look to do them again. We're thinking maybe as early as December, maybe um, early January, depending on the holiday season and these things. So, um, you know, we like getting together and, and having a time to fellowship and break bread and eat. Um, you know, uh, our nickname here is a uh, Calorie Chapel. So, you know, we like to. This section um, in verse 36, just that phrase, for you have need of endurance. When I, when I read that uh, in my own heart, I just said, amen. <laughs> like, anybody here have need of endurance? Yeah. Uh, I feel like lately that has been uh, my prayer request. You know, there, there is the, uh, the brand of just get through your daily grind of life type of endurance that I think we all need. Uh, and it looks different for each of our lives and, you know, where you might go to work or what happens in your home, uh, you know, through the course of a regular day. But then there's also the, uh, the special kind of physical and mental endurance that, that some people need. Uh, two weeks ago, one of the world's most toughest races took place, and it made the news uh, this race takes place right in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It's an endurance race called the Marathon de Sables, I think, if I'm saying it right. And I have a couple pictures. And uh, it, it's supposed to be one of the most demanding uh, and scorching running routes in the entire world. And so some of you are runners, maybe you're all excited right now. That, that does nothing for me. But anyways... Uh, <laughs> Uh, this race distance uh, varies from year to year every time they do it, it um, and I think it's been happening since 1986, if I remember correctly, but uh, from 150 to 156 miles, and it just, and so what this article that I read said is that the runners generally will split up this course over six days because of the terrain. They'll actually give a, a day to rest, uh, which is after usually the longest stretch. Well, this race just took place. If you're like, oh man, I missed it uh, two weeks ago. Uh, but why it made the news is that someone died. The third time in the history of this race that someone died. And I thought, man, that is a different kind of endurance that is needed if you're going to run a race like that. In a little bit here, when we get to chapter 12, the writer Hebrews is going to compare the Christian faith to a race. And this topic of endurance, he's going to come back to. And he's going to talk to, about, to us about the spiritual endurance that we need to run our race of faith, if you will. And if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the Christian life described as it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And I absolutely agree with that um, statement. Following Jesus in this life is its own version of an endurance uh, course. And here, when we, at the end of chapter 10, the author uh, is reminding us of that reality. He's reminding the reader, and of course as we read it, us, the, the, the struggles and the sufferings that come with the Christian life. We can absolutely expect those things. Uh, none of us are promised... Um, you know, an easy course, not always. And it's just the nitty-gritty of the Christian life. And, and, and when we get to chapter 11, we're going to find an encouragement of others who ran their race, not perfectly, but they ran it by faith, and, and how we too, who we are not perfect, but we can run our race of faith and keep our eyes on the prize. But here in this section, the, the writer 
uh, is going to basically tell us what not to do. What not to do when we encounter these darker days, these tougher times, uh, these challenges that we will encounter. Remember, the orientation of the Christian life, it is forward and it is upward. It's forward and it's upward. It's not backward and it's not downward. The Hebrew Christians were reminded that it's healthy, and we were reminded by proxy. It's healthy for us from time to time to take spiritual inventory of our life, to ask the question, uh, where am I with the Lord these days? How is my walk? Uh, What direction am I heading into? And, and so those are good questions to ask. And even to ask, well, how far have we come by God's grace? And at times to be able to pause and, and look back, uh, you know, not long for the, the good old days, but just to look back and realize, man, the Lord has been faithful. God has been faithful through all of this. And if God has been faithful, his track record uh, of his faithfulness in the past is perfect. Well, it's an encouragement that God will continue to be faithful. He'll continue to see you through. And that's essentially what the writer had directed them to do uh, back in verse 32. He says, recall the former days. Think back to when you first came to Christ and, and how good it is for us to, to see and remember the faithfulness of God, how God carried us through our tough times. And again, then to give us confidence and assurance uh, that we can continue forward. So in verse 35, he makes his connecting thought. Verse that begins, therefore, and then we've talked about this a number of times. Anytime you come to that word, you want to pause for a moment and ask, what is therefore, therefore? It's connecting another thought. It's a bridging word. It's a connecting word. And for us, if you're new especially, you know, we're dropping back in on, on basically some, a conclusion, what the author has been sharing. Starting back in verse 32, he basically was telling the Hebrew believers, hey guys, do you remember when you came to faith in Jesus Christ? You, you remember when you believed upon the Messiah? And specifically, do you remember how hard some of those days were for you? You remember how people mocked you for your faith? They didn't understand. Perhaps they even scoffed at you because you wanted to go to church. You wanted to worship Jesus. Do you remember how a group of people that you were once close with didn't want anything to do with you? All of a sudden they started talking trash about you and gossiping and questioning your decisions all because you wanted to live for Jesus? You, you, you remember how instead of pe- people being happy for you, that they uh, thought you were a part of a cult, they, they unfriended you and, and basically they ostracized you from the group, from the family, that you no longer got the invites? And, and so he's, he's reminding them of these things. You remember how you suffered so much loss and it was painful? For the Hebrews, it was a loss of physical property. I mentioned before that for, for some of them to come to faith in Christ, their families would hold a funeral for them as though they were dead to them. Some of them had their inheritance taken away. What was going to be their house, what was going to be their property, it was removed from them. And yet through it all, they endured, as he reminded them. You endured a great struggle as you suffered. And, and we talked about how we as Christians today go through similar struggles. And we talked about how God 
allows those things, even ordains those trials and testings in our lives. And His intention for you and for me is always good, always for your good, always for His glory, that God wants to build our faith and strengthen your walk with Him, your relationship with Him to grow deeper and stronger. And one of the tools that God uses to do that, well, it's suffering, it's hurting, it's pain. It's one of the ways that our faith is proven genuine. And sometimes that happens externally, sometimes that happens internally. Sometimes it's interpersonal struggles that we have with others. We've talked about how that becomes a window for us to see where our, our source of identity is then. Where do we find our validation? Where am I seeking that? It does not matter that what others say. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. What matters truly is what God says of you. And so we're reminded of these things. We're reminded that sometimes God will use possessions in your life, whether He blesses you or sometimes He might you know, uh, take things away. And in each of those occasions, it becomes a, a little bit of a test. What happens in my heart? What happens in your heart when you have a lot more than you need? Where do you go with that? Or what happens when you don't have what you need? Or when you know, things are scarce? Is the joy of our life, the contentment that we find, is it attached to the number of things that we own? And so those were good tests. We, we talked about that. We're reminded that heaven is our home and that our true tre treasure is stored in the bank of heaven. That's where we're going. And if that's where we're going, that's where we should invest in. Because the hope of heaven becomes the anchor of our soul. And it keeps us steadfast and sure and buoyant all through life's troubles and struggles and storms. And so what does the writer say in light of all of that? He says, if those things are true, if that's the reality of the Christian life, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't throw it away. That, that phrase, cast away, actually is one Greek word in the original Greek. It's the word apobalo. And it means to, in a sense, to just set aside without caring. Like you're taking off your jacket or you're taking off your garment. Maybe you think about your kids. If you have kids that are coming home from school or sports practice and they just toss off their shoes or they throw their backpack down or you know, they toss their clothes in random places, seemingly without concern. Or maybe it's not your kid. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. I don't know. You know. <laughs> it's the idea of that. You just kind of toss it without a care. And then later on, you're like, wait, where did I put my keys or my jacket? Or where's my hat, right? We, we are encouraged to not do something. As we face these struggles, as we have these hardships, we're encouraged not to cast away, not to jettison, not to abandon our confidence, our trust in the Lord. And why would the writer seem or deem it necessary to write these things? Why would the Holy Spirit inspire him to write these things? Because we're tempted to do that. That's the reality. We're, we're tempted to do There can be a great temptation for us to let go of what we know, to let go of what we believe, to let go of what we're trusting about God in His Word, especially when we experience hardships and difficult things in life. Again, we don't want to do that. 
And so that is why, and we've talked about this before, why, why do we spend a lot of time, and I realize we do a lot of time, to unpack the Scriptures, to make sure we're understanding the truth of Scripture and the depth of Scripture. We, wanna, we want our faith to be based upon the Word of God. That our roots would grow down deep. That we would be anchored solid to the bedrock and the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word and the truth of Scripture. Because life will throw, you know, just stuff at you. And so often, it is those whose faith is not anchored, whose faith is shallow, that it's not rooted deep, that it's just superficial, that it has just, it's those who kind of have just kind of a, uh, I'll describe it this way, kind of a cotton candy version of faith, what the Bible says. That often that it's them that when a crisis in their life happens, when a storm happens, they experience a real challenge. Well, what happens? They, they bail. They fall over. They get unhinged. You know, Jesus taught several par- parables about the, the need, the importance of the Word of God and, and having it be a part of our foundation and what can happen to us it, it, when we experience the hardships in life. And, and I think I might have mentioned this even last week, maybe in my prayer, but in Matthew chapter 7, for example, Jesus is giving this analogy and he says, everyone who hears my word and does them, applies them. So there, it's the hearing and the heeding. It's the listening and the loving and the living by. Those things need to go together. For everyone who hears my word and applies them and does them, I'll liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain came, when the typhoon of life came, the storm came, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was built upon the rock. And then he gives another example. However, everyone who hears my words, and so notice that, those who hear his word, and yet does not do them, does not apply them, doesn't heed them. They're like the foolish man, like a foolish person who built their house on the sand. And so when the rain fell, the storms came, the wind blew, the floods came, it beat against that house, and Jesus says it fell, and great was the fall. He gives another example the parable of the sower, sometimes it's called the seed or the soils. It's recorded in, in all three, well, three of the four Gospels in Matthew chapter 13. If you know the account, remember Jesus tells this parable about the sower who went to go sow the seed and it fell on four different types of ground or four different types of soil. And he, the disciples weren't fully tracking, and so he actually explains it to them. He tells them, well, it's an analogy. The, the seed represents the Word of God, and the soils represent the heart of a person. And he talked about the four soils and how they're symbolic. How when the seed fell upon uh, the stony ground, that, well, it sprang up quickly, but it had no depth, Jesus said. And when the sun came out, it scorched it, and it, and it withered away because it had no root. 
And Jesus explained how that was the person who hears the word, and initially they get excited. They're like, oh, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And, and, but as soon as trouble comes, as soon as hardship comes, because they're not rooted, he says they stumble, and they fall away, they do not endure. Okay, we were reminded that it is our struggles themselves, our pain, our suffering, our difficulties, those are the bricks and the mortar that God uses to build our faith. And I would say this, see our confidence comes then when we then know who is doing the work, who's at work building this thing. We, we can then trust the process. We can trust the quality of it, the outcome of it, the process of it, even when we don't understand it in the moment, even when we're looking at it and think, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would you allow this to happen? And we, I think we do that in the natural. You know, I love this pulpit. And if you didn't know, this pulpit, we didn't buy it off of Amazon or anything. Someone built this pulpit. Josh Esri built this pulpit for us. He's a very talented person in many ways. He's also very good at woodworking, too. And I had seen several projects that he had made. And so when Christy and I were talking about trying to get a new counter for our house, you know, for our coffee and you know, all these things, I said, oh, I know the guy to build it. And so I asked Josh to build it. And so when I saw the initial parts and pieces, it didn't look like anything that what we had wanted. It was just kind of in the, the beginning stages and didn't look like what I was thinking. But I knew Josh, and I trusted him. I know the quality of his work, and I trusted him, you know, that, okay, he knows what he's doing. I don't. You don't want me building a cabinet. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can be tempted to let go we jettison our trust in God or trusting in the process that God is using because we don't understand the, the, what the pieces that we're looking at in our life. And so the writer is saying, don't do that simply. He's just saying, don't let go of trusting God. And we have example after example of why that is a bad idea. <laughs> Make your way through the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. When God made a promise to Abraham, to Abram and Sarah, he told them, you're going to have a family. And they looked at each other with their senior citizen discount coupon card and said, I don't think so. And God made this promise to them. And it seemingly was impossible. It was physically impossible. And it didn't seem like it was working out on their schedule and their expectation. You know the account. What do they do? Well, they ran ahead of God. They tried to accomplish what God had promised them to do with their own ability, their own ingenuity, their own scheme. But what happened? Again, they made something happen, but it wasn't what God wanted for them and not in the way that God wanted to bless them. And so what they did and how they did it, well, it became a lifelong lesson for them. (laughs) 
You know, the writer is reminding them, hey, remember how it was hard for you and yet you endured and the idea is that God saw you through and it's going to get hard again. He's going to talk about how <laughs> there's going to come a, a shaking. He's going to talk about it in chapter 12. Another storm is coming. So don't cast away your confidence. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I think that part of our human nature is that we tend to put an equal sign between hard experiences and bad things. That we tend to equate, well, if it's hard, it must be bad. I'm going through this difficulty, so it must be, uh, you know, it must be something wrong. And, and I want to I challenge that perspective. I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches us. I, you know, sometimes we think, well, if it's hard, then this must be not where God wants me to be. Getting hard is not automatically bad. Hard is not automatically wrong. We need to change how we see those things. Because sometimes God will put you in hard places. Sometimes God will bring hard things to you. And they absolutely are intended for your good. <laughs> we get to experience God in new ways. I mentioned last week how there in the boat, when the storm came, the disciples, they've seen Jesus do amazing things before. They've seen miracles already. But what they hadn't seen is him rebuke the weather. And so it was that storm that became an opportunity for them to experience their Savior in a greater way. They got to see a, 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 another dimension of Jesus and how good He is, and how powerful He is, how gracious He is. Like We don't know that God, the promises of God, that God will see you through, that God will be your provider. We, we don't really know the, the weight of that verse unless you're in need. That God promises that He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you, that you'll never be alone when you have the Lord. We don't, we don't really know the weight of that, the truth of that, unless we feel alone. That God is our shield unless we feel attacked. That God is our comfort unless we are hurt. And so the writer reminds us, don't, don't cast away your trusting in God. And the process that the Lord is taking you through, even when you can't see, even as we were saying earlier, even when you, the, the, the finished product isn't here yet, there is a great reward waiting for you. There's a great blessing that God has for you. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, as the saying goes, and it's not a train. And so what are we not to do? Not to jettison our trust. Not to in light of the things that we go through. And then writers are realists. Verse 36, he says, For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you will receive. You may receive the promise. Again, when I read that verse, I underlined it, and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I need endurance. We all do. Because it's hard. Raising toddlers is hard. Raising teenagers is hard. Trying to just get through the, the grind of a week is hard. 
What do we do with COVID? It's hard. Trying to figure out travel plans. I mean, just you name it. It's not easy at times. And so lately people have been asking, hey, how can we pray for you? You know what my response is? Please pray for endurance. Then I realized, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have asked for that. Like, don't ask for, you know, prayer for patience. And I would add to the category, don't pray for endurance. (laughs) Because you get endurance through enduring things. <laughs> it's not like I'm just laying on the couch, so I'm getting endurance. <laughs> that isn't how it happens. Oh man, we get weary and we get tired and we can become spiritually depleted. And sometimes it, it can get bad. Man, have you ever watched the energy level of toddlers? And there's a part of me that's like, I wish I had that. And there's a part of me that just, I get drained by watching them, right? How much they just keep going. You have need of endurance. I love that. The Lord knows. He sees, we get battle fatigued. (laughs) We get get war-wearied, if you will. And by the way, that is why we need each other, to go back to verse 24 and 25. Two are better than one. They have a greater return for their labor. When one falls down, the other is there to pick them up. We talked about how we need each other. None of us are called to be alone in the Christian life because we need endurance. You know, I would add this. Sometimes sometimes we are unnecessarily wiped out because we've taken on too much. We've overcommitted. We've stepped out beyond what God has for us. And so again, it kind of circles back. That's why it's good for us to ask, like, Lord, where am I with you? Am I on the right path? Am I doing what you've called me to do? Why have I taken this thing on really? Am I just trying to, and it goes back to what we talked about, am I just trying to impress somebody? Am I just trying to get more things? So it's good to start there. And really what I think the writer is reminding us of is that we have need of endurance so when we are in the will of God, so that when you have done the will of God, and that, that, that's a great question to ask too, am I in the will of God? Am I in the will of God today? And what's good about this is that we also understand then from this verse and from this context that that being in the will of God doesn't mean that you won't get weary. Being in the will of God doesn't mean that you're not going to experience hard things. That It doesn't mean that you're not going to get fatigued or tired. I mean, even Jesus got tired. He got fatigued. He experienced it in his, you know, in with his human body, and he needed to recharge. He needed rest. But the writer is assuming that the reader is in and doing the will of God. And so even in the center of God's will, you and I, we still need endurance. Paul was in the will of God, and found himself in prison, found himself chained, quarantined, 
on indefinite ROM. And he came to realize, though, that despite his circumstances, despite what had happened to him, God was still at work. God was working behind the scenes and in the scene. It was the will of the Lord. He was in God's will, even though he was locked away, even though he was, if you will, sidelined from what his what he, you know, he thought his primary calling was and what it should look like. At least in that season, it didn't necessarily look like how it looked like before. And so he writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, and he says, but I want you to know, brethren, the things that have happened to me. And so in one sense, it was just out of his control. It happened to him. They've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. They've actually been used for God's good, God's glory, my good. And he says, it's become evident to the whole palace guard and everyone that my chains are in Christ. He came to look at his circumstance as though it was in Christ. God told Abraham to go to the place I'll show you in Genesis 12. A lot of you can relate. You got orders, you don't know where you're going. (laughs) And Abraham was completely compliant He's obedient. You know, the accountant did exactly what God told him to do, and yet when he gets there, what happens when he gets there in Genesis 12? Anybody know? When he arrives into the promised land, anybody know what happens for a thousand points? I hear it. Someone said it. Uh, That's a little bit before that, but but that's, that's a good answer, Caleb. Remember, a drought happens. A famine happens. You can make sure I'm right in Genesis 12. He finds himself in the middle of a famine, in the middle of hardship. It was horrible. It was terrible. And I imagine, and it doesn't tell us what Abraham is thinking or what what he says out loud, so I'll take a little bit of conjecture and liberty, but I wonder if he's like, did I make a mistake? Did God make a mistake? Like, this is where you sent me? This is supposed to be the land flowing with milk and honey? Nothing's flowing. Nothing's growing. It's barren, it's dry, there's no, there's no fruit, nothing's happening. And yet, he is in the middle of God's will. The mistake that he makes is he thinks, okay, I need to bail, I need to leave. And very, very symbolically, we're told he goes south, <laughs> he goes down. And if you know the account, he makes a mess of what happens. And of course, God's grace is there, but he left for Egypt. Gang, it may be hard. It may be barren. You may feel like nothing's going on. But can I encourage you, as the Lord would encourage us, the best place for you and I to be is in the center of God's will. And to be in the center of God's will doesn't mean it's going to be uh, all sunshine and happy days. Sometimes it means it's hard. Sometimes it means it's just, there's no fruit. It may not look great. It may not be great. It may be the the exact opposite in the moment of what you thought, what you're expecting, what you're hoping for. It can be the most taxing, demanding, frustrating experience in your life. But if that is where God wants you, can I encourage you, as the writer would encourage us, don't move from there. Don't run away and don't run ahead of God. Stay put. God will sustain you. 
God will give you the endurance that you need and the grace that you need. You remember the Paul the Apostle? It wasn't necessarily a place that he found himself in, like the Philippian, or like, excuse me, like being in jail in Rome. But he shares this, this thing in his life, and we're really not even sure what this thing was. But whatever it was, it troubled him. Whatever it was, he referred to it as a thorn in his flesh. And, and Paul says, I prayed, I beseeched, I sought the Lord. Not once, not twice, three times he prays and asks God to take it away. Paul the apostle, whom miracles worked through him, who even when his, you know, his handkerchief, people were getting healed by it. And he prays to the Lord, and God's response to him, and Paul records it for us as he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, or at least 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, but here's what God told me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect, or it's perfected, in your weakness. And Paul says, okay, therefore I'll gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Maybe it's not where you are. Maybe it's something that's happening in your life that whatever is currently causing you or has caused you the greatest grief, the greatest pain, the Lord would say that often, I don't say always, but often that is the thing that produces the greatest testimony of God's grace in your life. The thing that causes you the greatest pain is often the thing that causes, it becomes the greatest testimony of God's grace in our life. And so he says, you have need of endurance, and after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And he quotes from the Old Testament as he's done before. He says, for yet a little while, he who is coming will come, he won't tarry. And now the just shall live by faith, and if anyone draws back, he has no pleasure in him. And he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and, and 4. And, and, and as we've mentioned before, the writer does this from time to time. And, and essentially, it's, a, it's his biblical proof text. It's his way of saying, listen, this isn't just my fanciful ideas. This isn't just my philosophy. Let me kind of kick this out to you and see what you think. He's saying, this is what God says. This is... Here's what the scriptures have to say about this. And he's done this often. He does it for good reason. Again, we've talked about it before. It's a great example for us as well. To go to scripture. To be able to have a biblical premise. This isn't just some random self-help, first century, you know, pop psychology. But God's word says this. God's word sustains us. God's word is making this promise. God's word is making this declaration that he is coming and the just shall live by faith. And by the way, uh, he's going to uh, extrapolate that in a greater way come chapter 11 and chapter 12. And so we'll get to plenty of amplification when we get there. He's going to give us a whole list of examples that we can read and be encouraged by. But the idea there is that we 
we move forward in faith. We're to keep on keeping on. And he'll bring us to the place where he'll remind us that in order for us then to even please the Lord, we have to live by faith. God is a rewarder of those who seek him that way. And so, church family, let's move forward in faith. And then verse 39, based upon that verse, he gives his application and he says, gang, guess what? That's us. God takes no pleasure in those who would draw back, but we're not those people. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but rather we are those who believe. The idea, we are those who continue forward. We are those who are oriented upward and forward to the saving of, of our soul. And that's the reality, though. There are others who have bailed. There are others who have quit. There are others who have said, I, this, I'm out. Paul describes it as people who shipwrecked their faith. They, they suffered shipwreck. They've walked away from Christ. That phrase, who draw back, is one word. It's similar, you know, from uh, don't cast away. But in the original Greek, it has the idea, the word meaning to, to, to sneak away um, you know, with the idea of not being seen. Sometimes maybe you, you've, you've gone to an event or you're at a party or at some social thing and you're like, this isn't for me, and so you kind of just you know, sneak away. Maybe you have some kind of code signal with your spouse or your friends. You know, you're like, eh, we're out of here, you know, and... <laughs> that's the idea that it means to retreat you're pulling away and again the writer is saying we don't do that we don't retreat sometimes we'll have our, our men's events we gather at Akuma a couple of days and in the English right, we call it oh, we have, we're having a men's retreat and usually it's the marine Corps brothers will come up and say, Pastor Rick, we don't, Marines don't retreat. <laughs> like, All right. You know. It's our men's excursion. You know. <laughs> I think maybe next year we'll call it our men's quest or a men's odyssey. You know. <laughs> Writer says, hey, we don't retreat. We're not sneaking back. We're not pulling away. And so really it's just two points of application. The first is don't let go of trusting God. Don't let go. Don't jettison your confidence in what God is doing in the process. He's the master builder. Yes, we may not see what he's doing. We may not fully understand all the parts and pieces, but God promises you that he'll complete the good work he began in you. God promises you that all things will work together for good. And so don't throw that away. And then along with that, don't walk away. Don't, don't go back from following God. Okay, I, I feel like this is such a practical portion for us because we, we will encounter bumps and bruises, hills and valleys and mountains in our walk of faith. There will be situations that you and I will encounter that will completely stink that you won't, you won't want to get out of bed. You won't want to show your face here. You're going to feel like quitting. 
That's reality. They exist. And yet, it's by those very things that God wants to give you endurance through. You know, our, our strength, and this is true physically, right? Our strength is often developed through resistance. Right? Some of you do that by choice, resistance training. Right? You have these bands of different resistance. Right? And it's the same thing spiritually. Our spiritual strength is often, it's, you know, our, our spiritual muscles, if you will, are developed through the resistance that we go through. Do, God does this resistance training of our faith to the saving of our souls. And so the writer encourages us, don't go back. And the idea of back to perdition is the idea of your old life of sin. To the old way of living. And perdition simply means destruction or damning. So don't go back to your old sinful ways. There's nothing of eternal value there. It's hollow and shallow. It's empty. It's dark. It's lifeless, it's dead. Again, we have a, a reminder of that, this illustration, I really believe, this picture in John chapter 21, if you're familiar with that portion, it's after Jesus has died, it's after Jesus has resurrected, it's after Jesus told the guys, hey, I, I want you to go. And, and we have this little interlude where Peter says to uh, the disciples, even, you know, even after they saw the risen Lord, and he says to them in John 21, I'm going back fishing. If you will, I believe symbolic, he's saying, I'm going back to my old life. Jesus had already told him earlier, Peter, I'm, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And yet Peter finds himself in a boat and we get a little glimpse that he's somewhat of a leader. The others are like, yeah, you know what, Peter, we're going to go with you. And so there's a group of them, and they go out into this boat, and John 21 says that they fished all night, and what did they catch? Anybody know what they caught? Nothing. That's a waste of a fishing trip, right? What an insult it must have been to them, too. They're professional fishermen by trade. Right? They go all night, they catch nothing. Zero, not a zilch. All that time wasted, all that energy, Jesus shows up in the morning. Again, I, 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 yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes. It's a new day. <laughs> it's a brand new day. And the Lord in His grace calls out to them. And there's a little bit of a rub, right? Hey, did you guys catch anything? <laughs> well, in that voice, John knew. Peter throws his coat aside, jumps in, he swims, and, and as they get to shore, you guys know the account? What does Jesus have waiting for them? Anybody know? Food, yes, yeah, food. The Lord has food. <laughs> he has fish, little barbecue, little breakfast going on with the Lord. And again, what I, I love that is because the very thing that they went go, to go look for, Jesus already had he had provided for them what they needed, what they were wanting. Gang, don't go back. We're going to get knocked around. There's going to be some bumps, some tough days, hard things. 
But we're encouraged, listen, the Lord is with you. What you need, what you're looking for, the Lord has. And, and you know, the, the way that we once lived, the Bible describes it as a, a dark path that led to emptiness, right? You once, you once walked according to the pattern of this world. We once were sons of wrath, of perdition. We were on a highway, a broad way to hell. And the Lord rescued us from that. But God, who's rich in mercy, who loves you, because of His grace, sent His Son to live and to die for you and for me so that you and I could have a relationship with Him, to be rescued from that. And the reality is that, and God's a realist, life can be hard. The bottom can fall out at a moment's notice. And we've experienced that. It's a matter of a phone call. It's a doctor's visit. It's an email. It's you, sh- you walk in the door and your loved one says, hey, I need you to take a seat. We have to talk. You get called into your boss's office. It's a, it's a momentary lapse of judgment that seems to topple your entire life for some of you. And the question is, what will we do? Where will we go in that moment? We're encouraged this morning to stay the course. Press into Jesus. Lean on Him. Don't let go. Don't jettison your confidence. Don't cast it away. Don't walk away. Don't give up. God has you and He will see you through and His grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your strength is perfected even in our weaknesses, Lord. Thank you, Father, that the endurance that we need, we so desperately need, and you acknowledge, well, it's found in you. It comes by your spirit. It comes by your word. And so, Lord, help us that our roots would grow down deep. Because the storms of life come, and they will continue to come. And Lord, and when they come, help us not to let go of trusting you. God, help us to remember that that we can be perfectly in the center of your will, and that's the best place to be, although it doesn't guarantee that everything's going to be happy-go-lucky. There's going to be times where it's dry, and it's hard, and, and it's seemingly there's nothing going on, but Lord... Help us to stay put. God, we do not want to go back. And we thank you that by your grace, we will move forward. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your encouragement, and your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, I finished early enough for a closing song. Praise the Lord.